Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found online at grace417.com. So, did you guys know there's a new um, Top Gun movie being filmed? I don't know if you guys knew that or not. It's actually, yeah, it's actually being filmed right now on the Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, my son-in-law um, uh, works in the nuclear engineering department. Uh, runs the reactor. He's a reactor operator on this um, on this um, aircraft carrier. So they are filming this movie right now. Just so you know, it's your tax dollars hard at work. So just you know, throw that out there. But but it's interesting hearing hearing his perspective on the movie that they're making. You know, and and what they what they have going on. And I love war movies. I don't know if you could actually like count like Top Gun like a, a war movie. I guess it's military. I've never been in war. If I'd been in war, I probably wouldn't like war movies. But I like war movies. I like. Um, you know, I like a group of, of people going in with a mission to accomplish, and as they face the obstacles that they face, and, but they're going to accomplish that mission, and, and it's, you can see there's always times where they become discouraged, where they don't think they're going to make it, and then, I mean, of course, in the movies, if it's going to be good, you know, they make it, and, uh, they get, and then almost always they have to get rescued, and, you know, somebody else has to come in and, and help them out, and I just, I just, I like those movies, they're exciting, and, 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 and it fits with what we're talking about this morning, because as we look at the book of Ephesians, Paul was writing a letter to warriors, warriors in Christ. He was, he was writing to people that are in the army of the Lord. In fact, he ends the book, chapter 6, sharing with them what their armor in Christ looks like, how they're to stand in victory, um, how they're to engage in spiritual warfare. And, and as he sends this letter to them, just like physical warriors, it is so important that they stay encouraged. It's so important that they keep their confidence. It's so, under, it's so important that they understand who they are and what God has called them to do, what the mission is, so they stay on task, they stay on, on focus, they stay with their, as would be called a band of brothers or a band of sisters. You know, they'd stay together to fulfill the mission God has called them. And, and when we signed up, to follow Jesus, when we pledged our allegiance to Jesus and we said yes to him, we may have said yes to Jesus because we believed he had a wonderful plan for our life, right? But how many know that wonderful plan also, there's a great difficulty that we will face trials, we will face tribulations, we will face persecutions. Uh, Jesus said that, that his followers were like lambs being led to slaughter. Um, we know, he said, you will have trouble in this world, you will have persecution. We know Paul was shipwrecked. He was beat. He experienced famine. Uh, He experienced um, great lack. He had great resources at times, but also great lack. He faced all these different things. And so as he's writing this, he is sending to the people at Ephesus a letter to encourage them, to strengthen them, to give them confidence of the love and the power that they have in Christ Jesus. And, and so when we face issues in life, difficulties in life, we can draw resources, resource from passages of Scripture like this as, as we really begin to even more understand how secure we are in Christ and we can endure anything that's on this side of eternity. So would you turn in your, in your Bibles or open up your app and, and go to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 and um, verses 11 through 14, part two of this series. And, and so here we go. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ 
Here he's speaking of, because they were descendants of Abraham, so they were the first ones who put, the Jews were the first ones who put their, their faith in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, that you also, this was now the Gentiles, um, that you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until, can you say the word there, can you say until? Until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. So when I'm writing my sermons, when I'm, when I'm doing Bible study, I, I ask this question. I ask this question, what difference does it make? Or I'll ask myself the question, who cares? I really will. And if you could have seen my manuscript that I, that I wrote up, on the back of it, you would have seen me in handwriting. You would have seen, what difference does this passage make? Because at the end of the day, I believe God wants to say something to us. I believe he really has something to say. And so I think it's a very good question to just say, what difference does this make? What? Because of his word, it, it, there is a difference it's going to make, but what is it? Who cares? Like, like what, what really matters from this? And when you ask those kinds of hard questions, you get really good answers. And so what difference does this make? Well, the first difference that this makes um, in our life, number one, is God is working his will in you to the praise of his glory. That we see here that God is working his will in you to the praise of his glory. Uh, verse 11 and 12 again. And, and with that in mind, let's, let's relook at this, 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 these two verses. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So last week I talked about how we were chosen and how we are chosen, how we're chosen in Christ Jesus. He has chosen us. He has redeemed us. He has adopted us. Um, and, and, and so we are chosen in him and we have been predestined. He has a destiny for you. He has a destiny for you. He has a, a plan for you. And this is according to the plan of him. I mean, think about that for a moment. It's his plan. Okay. Like we need to like like reorientate ourselves to that because often we try to get God to work our plan. He's never promised to work our plan. He's promised to work his plan. And so it's a whole lot better if we get in on his plan than trying to spend a whole lot of emotional and mental and physical energy trying to get God in on our plan. So as in Christ, we want to follow his plan and, and he promises us this. He's promised he's working everything out, all the details of our life, all the different things that we think are coincidence, or all the, even the difficulties. He doesn't waste anything. He redeems him. He works him out. We know that those who, um, who, we know that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Like it's his purposes, it's his plans. And, and as we align our hearts with him, he works all these things out in our life. He's conforming them. He's, he's shaping, you know, conform means to shape. He's conforming, he's shaping our life because of the plan that he has that involves us, that includes us, the purpose of his will. Not our will, but his will. It's like Jesus prayed, Lord, not my will be done, 
Lord, your will be done. We know that Jesus only said what he heard the Father say. He only did what he saw the Father do, that he would work in the plan of God. And so it would be in our hearts as well, that we would work the plan of God, that we would hear him, we would walk in him as we're chosen, as we fulfill the destiny that he has created us for. But, but as we do this, as, as soldiers, as warriors, as, as, a, as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, that the conditions that we fight in, the place that we find ourselves in as we're advancing the kingdom of God, as we're destroying works of darkness, as Jesus has called us to do, that it's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy. And I think David provides us a great example of someone whose heart was after God, who was someone who knew how to find refuge in God, who knew who he was. Yes, he made mistakes. Yes, he had failure. Who doesn't, right? And, and yet he was able to realign, continually realign himself with the purposes and the plans of God. David, who as a young teenager uh, was out with the sheep and, and the prophet Samuel shows up and, and the Lord's told him that one of Jesse's boys is going to be king. And so he, he asks Jesse, where are your boys? And, and Jesse brings all the boys up except for David and Samuel looks at him and he's like, I mean, these are fine young men. These are good boys, but this isn't who the Lord's chosen. Is there another one? And Jesse's like, oh yeah, I mean, there's little David out in the field and well, go get little David, you know? Bring him in. And so he brings him in, and the Lord says, this is him. This is, this is the next king of Israel. And so God, anoint, or God, through Samuel, anoints him. He's anointed king of Israel. But does he come king that day? No. Many, many, it's many years later before he becomes king. He goes back out, out in the field. He just goes back to work. And we know later that he takes his brother's food when they're fighting the Philistines or their arch enemies. And Goliath, the huge giant, is there blaspheming God and talking bad about him, making fun of, of, Is, of the Israelites. And, and we know that, that God anointed, touched David to take a, a slingshot and, and to, to fly a, a rock. And he, he hits this giant in the one exposed spot and he falls and David kills him and he becomes victorious. He becomes a national hero. And uh, Saul, the king, begins to include him in his court, and he, uh, he includes him in the administration, and then he gets jealous of him. Then he begins to, he puts a hit out on him, he tries to assassinate him, he tries to kill him. David has to run for his life, right? He's running for his life, he's hiding. And we find in Psalm 57, we find David hiding in a cave, hiding in a cave, hiding from Saul, who is who has unleashed all the resources to try to, get, to try to get rid of him. And this is what Psalm 57 says, verses 1 and 2. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. He's looking to the Lord for protection. And this is interesting because, I mean, if I remember my story right, if I remember my Hebrew right, um, Saul went into this cave, I think to go to the bathroom, right? And so he goes, he goes Saul, the king, goes into this cave, David's in there. I do remember that for sure, the story. David's in there. And he cuts the edge of the garment, of Saul's garment. So a couple thoughts. One is that was a really sharp knife to be able to cut a piece of clothing off somebody and then not notice it. Number two, David could have took matters into his own hands. In fact, his guys thought he should have. God has surely delivered him to you today. And how many times are we like, are we, are, are we like that? 
that we're in a difficult situation, we're in something hard, and, and we see an easy way out. We see a, a way of relief. We see, Lord, here's the solution. Here's the, here's the fix. And we'll try to take things into our own hands and try to solve them and try to fix them instead of trusting the Lord. But David had enough wisdom. He had a sensitivity to the Lord. They knew that Saul was still the Lord's anointed, that, that he needed to let God take care of the situation, that he wasn't the one to take care of. So he said, no, that's, that's not my place. That's God's place. And he knew that ultimately, because he knew God could take Saul out like that. <laughs> David thought, when reading it, we would think that Saul was David's problem, and God could fix his problem like that, right? Because he's God. And we think the same thing about our problems. Like, God... Like, I know you could fix my problem like, like that. You could fix it. It'd be all better. We could move on with life. And if we stop and if we look at Scripture, we look at history, we look at even our own life, we'll see that, that really God's more interested in what he's doing in us than he is about just fixing these problems that we want him to fix. He's working something much larger, much deeper, much more significant in our soul, in our life, than just fixing our problems. God's not our problem fixer. You know, He's creator, sustainer of the universe. It doesn't mean He doesn't care. It just means that we find our protection in Him. David here says, I look to you for protection. I hide Beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes. Now, some translations that were danger there will call it a storm or a hurricane. I've never been in a hurricane, but I've seen them on TV. And I think you hunker down, right? You hunker down and you find protection and you let the storm pass through. And I don't know if there's a theology of hunkering down in Jesus, but there is a place of hiding under the shadow of his wings, under the presence of God, in the presence of God, regardless of what's going on around me, that there is a safe and secure spot in the arms of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus. I remember years and years and years ago, I heard a story, I don't even know if it's true or not, but I heard a story about, I don't know, someplace like Kansas or Nebraska where there's just these vast plains and a fire had, a lightning had struck and, and there had been a prairie fire that had burned through the prairie. And, and a farmer whose land had been burned up was just walking through the field and, and there was a burnt um, prairie chicken in his, in his field. And I don't know why he kicked it, maybe because as guys we just like to kick stuff. And, and so he kicked this, this, this carcass, this burnt, this burnt prairie chicken. And as he kicked it, these little chicks just ran out from underneath. They had they had sought protection under the canopy of their mother. And, and Psalm 91 gives us imagery of God, of, this, of being one who we come under his wings and we receive protection from him. And, and, and whether that story is true or not, we know that this is what Jesus has done for us, that he's protected us, that he's provided for us, that, that he, he took death, hell, and the grave. He absorbed that so that we could have life and we could have life to the fullest and that we could, he took that for us. So, He's a safe place to go to. He's a safe place. And, and I mean, I know there's all kinds of questions about there that people, you know, philosophical questions that people ask of, well, if God's good, how could, how could he let these bad things happen? Or why does God let things, or why does God cause this? These, these big 
philosophical questions. And, 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 and I don't know why we would blame God for the evil, for the, how terrible the world is. Like, he turned it over to us in the garden. He turned it over to us, and we're the ones that destroyed it. We're the ones that, that have brought evil, that have brought sin. Why would we turn and blame it on God? I mean, if something good happens, right, it's, well, that, that was luck, that was good luck. If something bad happens, it's an act of God, right? You know what I'm talking about? So it's like even orientation is just like so, so messed up. But if we ever begin to think that God is anything other than good, we have no place to go. Because if we don't believe at the very heart of our core that God is good, that he is trustworthy, that he's our rock, that he's our safe place, he's our place of protection. If we don't believe that to the very core of our being, that when the storms of life come, when the, when the fire rages, we have no place to go. And so it's so imperative that, that we become convinced in our hearts of hearts that God is good to us. And he says here, he goes, I cry, David says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. Even David understood it was the purposes of God. He's even quoted in the, in the book of Acts that said, he, he was one who was able to fulfill the purposes of God in his generation. That's what was said about David. May that be true of us as well that we would be those that would fulfill the purposes of God for our generation. And it's not our purposes, it's his purposes. It's, 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 it's his plan. Why? What difference does it make? To the praise of his glory. That everything we do, that our life would be for the praise of his glory. That he would receive praise and glory from his purposes being worked out in our life, that people will look at our life and say, it's obvious God is doing something. It's obvious God is strengthening. It's obvious God is healing. It's obvious God is sustaining. It's obvious God is providing. It's obvious God is at work in those people. That's what his purpose is, is to, is to bring about the praise of his glory. You say, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. How do we know that's true? How do we know there's any truth to that? And Paul tells us that. He says, you can know this. You can know it's true because you're sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit in you. That's the seal. That's the guarantee. Verse 13. And it says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until, can you say the word until? Until, one more time, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. So why is, why is Paul focusing here on the Holy Spirit? Why is he really illuminating this? What What's the significance of this? Well, if, if, you, if you know the backstory, the story behind the story for Ephesus, then it really helps you understand how loaded, how important, how strategic, how powerful that the verses 13 and 14 are. And 
I know I've given you guys this, 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 this homework the last couple of weeks, but you know, we had bad weather and snow and, and everything. And, and so part of the assignment has been to read Ephesians 18 and 19. So if you haven't read Ephesians 18 and 19, like read them. It'll really just help the book of, of I'm sorry, Acts, Acts 18 and 19, because it makes the book of Ephesians come alive. You're like, there's a Ephesians 18 in your Bible? No, there's not. Acts 18 and 19. And then in, in Acts 18 and 19 is the story of the church that was planted. And how many know church doesn't mean building, right? Church doesn't mean building. Church doesn't mean 9 o'clock service or 1045 service. We're the church. People are the church. Wherever we're located, wherever we're, we're tomorrow, we're the church on Monday, right? And we'll be wherever you're going to be. God's placed you in these places. That's that's the church. And so as we, as, we, as we find that, in fact, let me just give you a little, some of the backstory, and you can read it on your own for more detail, but the backstory is that there's a man named Apollos who has experienced the baptism that John the Baptist um, had, which was a baptism of repentance. If you remember John the Baptist, he was declaring the one who was to come, the Lamb of God, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, and so he was baptizing people in Israel of, to prepare them for Jesus who is coming. And so it must have been that Apollos would have been one of those people. And so he leaves and he ends up in Ephesus. And he's in Ephesus. He's telling people, and Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And, and so he's in modern-day Turkey, and he's telling people about the, the one to come. He's telling them, John's message, and he's baptizing them in water according to John's baptism of repentance, of preparation for the one who is to come. And then, so that's the end of 18. And then in Acts 19, in fact, I'm going to read the first seven verses to you. There's the account of what begins to happen, which is the backstory to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. So while Apollos was in Corinth, so Apollos leaves modern day Turkey and he goes to what's modern day Greece. He does that, and as he does that, Paul took the road f- over to Ephesus. So, so he goes over to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He wants to know because he knows how important it is that they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that they have that power of God flowing in them and through them, and, and how strategic and how important it is. And so he asked, he goes, have you have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, no, we, we, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Who, who, who is this Holy Spirit? And so, so Paul asked them, then, then, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, well, we, got, we received John's baptism. And Paul said, oh, John's baptism. Well, that was a baptism of repentance. He, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, so he he baptized them in water. They put their faith in Christ. And then he lays his hands on them. And as he lays his hands on them, the Holy Spirit comes on them. The Holy Spirit was already in them when they were born again. But now the Holy Spirit comes on them. And they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. And there were about 12 of them in all. And so you look at here, and, and as we look at this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause for a moment and give you some, um, some, some theological frameworks here, because in this short, just these, four, these short seven verses, we see three different types of baptisms here. And so I, wanna, I just want to break these down to you, that there's three baptisms that we experience. 
We should experience. We're intended to experience. The first baptism is a baptism into the body of Christ, which is salvation. Salvation is a baptism into the body of Christ. In fact, when we baptize in water, it's a picture of being baptized in Christ, being baptized, being spiritually born again, uh, moving from death to life, and coming up out of the water. Um, That is a picture of spiritual baptism, that when we are saved, we are baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So they had been baptized in water as a sign of repentance, but they did not yet know Jesus. They had not yet been baptized into Jesus, into faith in Christ. And so, I mean, how many of you know water is not, there's nothing magical about baptismal waters. That's not, it's symbolic. And, and so they had been baptized, but they hadn't yet come to faith in Christ. So wh- they came to faith in Christ, so they were baptized into the body of Christ, and then they needed to be baptized in water, in water baptism. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Therefore, and go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we come to faith in Christ, then we're baptized in water as a declaration of our faith in Christ. Now, some would say, because it says they were baptized in the, into the name of Jesus, that you baptize in Jesus' name, and that's where they get that theology from. But actually, they were baptized into Jesus at salvation, and then they would have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because that's how they were instructed to do this. So that's, so you see the two baptisms so far? Baptism into Christ at salvation, and then followed by baptism into water as a sign of that, as a symbol of that, a declaration of that. And then the third is baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, another occurrence similar to this of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 8, 14 and 17. When, when they go to Samaria, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so what happened here is, and these similar, these are pretty similar situations. Um, here they, well here, except here they had been baptized into Christ. So they're baptized into Christ. They're baptized in water. And now they need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They need this third baptism, so to speak. And so Paul leads them into that because he knows how important it is, it is to them. And so we talked last week, we talked about how in the Old Testament, so often God is viewed as out there. And in the New Testament, God is Emmanuel, Jesus. He is with us. And at the end of the book of John, Jesus said, I've been with you, but soon I'll be in you. And, and that when he ascended into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, who now the Holy Spirit is what abides in us. So when you're baptized into Christ, When you become a brand new creature, when you are born again, you receive the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in you. That is the seal, that is the guarantee that you belong to Jesus. And so the Bible says that unless you're you're born of the Spirit of God, you can't be born again. So we know that we have the Holy Spirit. Yet Paul here instructs them that there is a Holy Spirit coming upon you, a baptism of the Holy Spirit that gives you power, that gives you life, that, that he was just like, you guys need this so, so, so bad. 
And so as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, that there is this, there's two words that I just want to point out to you this morning. It's the word seal and the word guarantee. The word seal, he goes, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, the promised one, the, the promise of the Father, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In him there's a seal and a guarantee, a seal and a guarantee. We don't, you know, we don't, in our culture today, we don't think of seals a whole lot. I'm not talking about the animal that floats in water. I'm talking about a, a marking. Um, if you think of ancient days, you'd think of, think of, a, of letters like rolled up and there being a wax seal on them with a stamp that would have shown authenticity, that would have shown proof of ownership. In fact, the title of my sermon is Signed, Sealed, and Delivered, which is a, um, it's an old-fashioned term for it's, it's a done deal. You know, if a deed is signed, if it's sealed with that seal of approval, if it's delivered, I mean, it is a real deal. It is happening. And you are sealed with the whole. When you put your faith in Christ, now if you don't put your faith in Christ, you're not sealed. You're not guaranteed. Like, you're, you're not in on this. But, but he says here, when you heard the gospel, because you have to hear that Jesus is king, that he is Lord, that he's come to provide salvation, that he died on the cross for you and for me, and that salvation, freedom from our sin is available through Christ Jesus. That when you hear that, and when you believe that it's true, and you receive that, and you confess Jesus is your Lord, that at that moment you are marked with a seal and a guarantee that you belong to God. It's a seal, and, and, it's, and it's, 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 it, shows, it shows ownership. It shows authenticity. And if you ever begin to doubt, am, am I really? No, I'm, I am saved. I am, I do... I do belong to the Lord. I can be confident. I am secure in his love because I have put my faith in Jesus and I am his and he is mine and I am in Christ. I'm in Christ. It's like that uh, an analogy I used last week. Well, this Kleenex, if you weren't here last week, but I didn't use it either, but, but here's a Kleenex. And I said, we're like this Kleenex, and, and this Bible is like Christ, and we put our faith in Christ, we trust Him, and we're in Him. Like we are in Christ Jesus. And there's a seal on us now. There's a guarantee that we belong to Him. We're sealed. And, and, then, and so the word seal, and then the word guarantee. And the, the idea of a guarantee, it's like a down payment. It's a deposit. I mean, you know, if you're going to go buy a house, right, like you put money down, like real money, because you're serious about the house. You want that house. It's going to be yours, and, and you put this money down because you're not joking around. You're not goofing around. Like, this is, this is real. This house is mine. It's going to belong to me. Or, or I mean, not a, not, a, not a great analogy, but like if you're at the library or if you're somewhere and you like you don't have your membership card or money or whatever. Maybe you give them your keys or you give them your driver's license or you give them something of value and they hang on to that because they know you're going to come back because they know you're serious because that has value to it. And so the Holy Spirit has been deposited in us as a guarantee, as a down payment of what's to come. And that's huge. That's, that's significant because as we look at this, it lets us know that 
that God is working these things out in our life to bring his purposes about. And as we face difficulty, as we face trials, as, as life happens, we have this deposit. So what does that mean, this deposit of the Holy Spirit? And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a real important, actually, if you go on past that, go on to, the, to verse 13 and 14. Look here, as it says here, it says, who is, who is a deposit, this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. There's so much more to come, that there's an inheritance that is ours, it's already ours, God has promised this, and as a, and as a, as a guarantee, as I will keep my word, God is saying, until, there's that word again. Can you say the word until? How about one more time? until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praises of his glory. Most of our life is lived in that, that space called until. Most of our life is lived in until. Now, there's moments in our life where things are really great. There's moments in our life where everything seems to be working out fine. But most of our life is lived in that until. Until that there's promises that God has given us. There's hope that God has given us. There's things we're believing for. There's things we're moving forward to until. But we haven't yet fully grasped it. We haven't yet fully moved into that yet. And, and we, we see that on, a, on an earthly realm, on an earthly scale, but even more so in an eternal picture. That the Holy Spirit is our deposit guaranteeing our arrival, our full inheritance, our full redemption until that the Holy Spirit in us now is given as our best friend, that he's given to us as our encourager now. And so just think about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life as a friend, as an encourager, as a counselor, as a guide, as a teacher. And so so sometimes we're able to, you know, we may have to go, how do I know this is all real? How do I know this isn't just fake? How do I know I'm just not making this up? How do I know this isn't just weirdo religious stuff? I know you guys would never ask yourself questions like that. But how do you know? One of the ways you know is because the Holy Spirit in you that you go, you know what? I am different. You know what? I do have peace. I do have joy. I do have love. I do sense the presence of God. I do experience a gentleness and loving kindness and patience and mercy. That I sense his presence in my life that even though things don't always make sense, even though I don't always understand anything, until that day, until that day of the Lord Jesus Christ, until that full redemption, I have confidence. I have hope in his love. I have hope in his power, of his goodness, of his mercy, of what he's doing. That, oh, it's, it's just a little bitty, bitty taste. But I know that that is true because I have a little taste of it now. And Paul's telling him and he's telling us, don't waver. Don't doubt. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. Don't back down. Because there's so much more until into that day there's a full inheritance. We know this because of the Holy Spirit in us. In us. Would you guys bow your head and close your eyes this morning? If I want to give you an opportunity to, 
to know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You've heard about Jesus today. You've heard the gospel. You've heard what Jesus has done for us. And if you're here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, if some of the things that I'm talking about, about about peace and joy and the presence of God, those things are just, if they're just not true in your life and you're here today and you're you're saying, Jay, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him as my Lord and as my Savior. I want to put my faith and my trust in him. Would you, would you say yes right now? Would you raise your hand? Would you, would you look at me? Would you, would you somehow just make a commitment to Jesus? Would you pledge your allegiance to him? Would you say, Jesus, I'm yours. I want you as my Lord and as my Savior. Would you look at me? Is it, would you raise your hand? Is that you? Anybody else? I just want to make sure I know who I'm praying for this morning. Just, would you just look at me face to face? or just, I just want to make sure I know. Anybody here today, you'd say, Jay, that's me. I want to know Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. I want to know him. I don't want to go on without. Anybody here today would say, that's me, Jay. That's me. I want to say yes to Jesus right now in this place, in this moment. All right. Lord, we thank you that we're yours. We thank we belong to you, Lord. Or if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray, Lord, they put their faith and trust in you today. They'd say, yes, Jesus. They'd say yes to you. They would put... Just say, yes, Lord. That's all it takes, isn't it, Lord? Just a yes, Lord, save me. I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com. Thank you for joining us, and we pray you have a blessed day.